0: Well, good morning. There we go. We got. We, Gordon's awake. Good morning. It, it, is, it is a rainy day. It, it is one of those mornings where, you know, it's kind of like, can we just sit in church and kind of sit back and kind of get cozy, right? It's a cozy feeling when it's dark like this early in the morning. But here this morning, we, we have these two gospel readings that we read this morning. Um, we don't often read these together. It's sort of strange to read two gospels in, in one morning, but they both have to do with these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in, in the first reading, in the Luke reading, Jesus is making his way to have dinner at a friend's house, uh, three siblings, Mary and Martha, and then uh, their brother Lazarus. He's not mentioned in this first reading, though. And we sort of know what happens here, right? It's, it's one of those uh, stories that we kind of make anecdotal. Um, we create these archetypes, right, around these two women, Mary and Martha, the one who does all of the work and puts her, her faith into hospitality and action. And then there's Mary, who's lifted up by Jesus as being present. And there are so many sermons that could be preached about this Luke text, faithful sermons. There are actually some pretty revolutionary things happening here that the author of Luke is highlighting. A paramount to that being that Mary assumes an unlikely role as a disciple. Jesus was teaching in the household, likely to Lazarus nearby. Maybe others were included as well. It would have been revolutionary for Mary to sit at his feet and to learn as a disciple. Jesus here, I don't think is so much as um, condemning Martha's busyness, even though he says you're distracted by many things, as much as he's lifting up what Mary is doing. Sort of a foretaste that through the ministry of Christ, all can be disciples men and women included. And this is really good news for the church, right? Because we know that it's women who, who are the first to proclaim the empty tomb, who, who come to the, uh, to the grave of Christ on that Easter morning. We, we know the role and the prominence that women will play throughout the ministry of Christ. But nonetheless, Jesus sort of turns to Martha when she's complaining about her sister's lack of, of help in the household, He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. It's not that these weren't important things. Jesus understands that hospitality greatly matters. Earlier in Luke's gospel, to this point, he tells his disciples as he sends them out two by two into the towns and villages, he tells them precisely to look for hospitality. He says, if somebody welcomes you into their home and makes you a guest, then stay there. Disciple there. Teach there. If you do not find hospitality, then shake the dust off your feet. Move on to the next town or the next village, right? Hospitality matters to Jesus. But I think Jesus understands here in Luke's gospel that he will soon go to Jerusalem. He will soon suffer and Be nailed to a cross. He will soon die, and he has a lot to teach. And so, in this particular moment, Mary has chosen the better thing. And the better thing in this moment is this presence, it's being aware of what's actually unfolding around you. And now, we know how this plays out in our life, too, don't we? I love to host. Uh, I love to have friends over, I, I love when Becca's family or extended family comes over for a cookout and, and I honestly, I enjoy the role of being the one on the grill or in the kitchen. Um, I want Becca to spend as much time as she can with her mom and dad, her brothers, the cousins and so I'll gladly be in the kitchen after dinner cleaning up the dishes, doing the work, right? Right? in the kitchen. And and I'm aware that while I'm doing that work, I'm also missing out on some really special and sacred moments. Conversations that are happening around the table as people linger. It's not that the work in the kitchen doesn't matter. It's just that other things are also happening that are sacred and and special and i often have to remind myself that i can do some of those dishes later i can also go out and enjoy the company and be present in the moment jesus wants martha's presence because he has a lot to teach fast forward here into our next reading the john reading and we have a tragedy that is unfolded Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, has died. And what's worse, it's been four days since the death. Why is this note included? Because the Jewish people believed that the spirit remained in the body for three days. But after three days, the spirit would have left. So not only is Lazarus dead, he's dead dead. There's there's no hope. If God would have acted, was going to act, it would have happened on the third day, right? The third day is when things happen. But it's been the fourth day. In other words, the author of John's gospel here is trying to convey to us that this is a hopeless and desperate situation. And what's really interesting, this just very interesting note, is of the two sisters, the one who desires to be in the presence of Jesus during this tragedy is now Martha. It's Martha, the one who was busy and distracted. It's that one who now runs out from her home in Bethany towards Jesus on the road some two miles away. And she says, Lord, if you had only been here, if, if you now had only been present here, then my brother would not have died. It's Mary who stays at home, overcome with her grief. Then this exchange happens that has so much to offer us as people of faith. Martha says, Lord, I know that my brother will be raised in the last day. But if you had been here, if you had only been here, and Jesus then sort of corrects her in a very subtle but profound way. He says, I, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Did you pick that up? Martha understands what resurrection means, like most Jewish people. Most Jewish people at the time believed in the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Martha had a faith. Martha had a belief. Martha had a conviction that life would ultimately win. That love would ultimately win. Even though she's overcome with grief and sadness because her brother has died, she ultimately has a faith that he will be raised from the dead. Martha believes in the resurrection well before the resurrection of Jesus has ever taken place. But Jesus then, he says to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, though they die, will live. But what I find really fascinating about this is the part where Jesus adds, I am the life. You see, we all need, we all need the faith and the assurance that death will not be the final answer. We need to cling to that promise because this world is often a cruel and ruthless place. It is a it is a world and it is a place where our loved ones die prematurely. Our, our, our friends and our, our spouses are diagnosed with terminal cancers. We, we have gun violence. We have earthquakes. We have tornadoes that rip lives and homes apart. We live in a world that is unjust and, and not often fair. We, we shake our fists at God so often wondering why nations need to go to war against other nations. Why innocent lives are lost. And we cry out, God, if you were only here, then this wouldn't have happened. We need to cling to the promise of the resurrection of the dead. And that is a promise that we do have and we can hold on to and we need to hold on to. That through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, no matter what happens to us in this world will not be the final thing. As I often like to say, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, death included, through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus will not be the last thing. Through Christ, we have this beautiful, sacred, eternal promise that our bodies will be raised from the dead, that our souls will be raised from the dead, that we will live with God forever this is often the only part of the gospel that we have been trained to orient ourselves around. But according to Jesus, the fullness of the gospel is about more than just the certainty of our life with God in eternity. The fullness of the gospel is also about being raised to life right now. Do you pick that up? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, I believe, is concerned all throughout the Gospels with raising people to life, abundant life, real life for this life. If our faith is only ever concerned with our eternity and our salvation, then we have mixed ourselves up and being so fixated on something that has already been accomplished through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus. Our salvation is secure. Later in our communion liturgy, I will read the words that say, all things have been accomplished for our salvation through Christ. All things. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if we believe that that is true, if we hold on to that promise through our faith, then we are invited to reorient the question in our mind concerning our faith. And the question is this, am I allowing Jesus to raise me to life now? Am I living an abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10 where he says, I have come that they may have life, life abundantly. You see, I think what Jesus was actually doing with Martha when she's complaining about her sister Mary is he wants to orient her to life right now. Don't miss out, Martha, on the life that is right before you the life that is right before you. All through the Gospels, Jesus only ever raises one man from the dead. It's Lazarus. But he raises thousands to life right now. He raises thousands to real life people who are caught up in their own sin and their own shame, people who are caught up in what seems like the impossible, women at the well, soldiers who are concerned about their children, hungry people on a hillside, scared disciples in a boat who are afraid to take one step of faith. What Jesus is doing all through the Gospels is he's raising people to abundant life, a life of purpose, a life of hope, a life of community, a life of welcome, When we say that love and life win, we are not just proclaiming that love and life win at the end of our days. Yes, that is true. Love and life winning means that through the empty tomb of Jesus, death has been defeated. But when we proclaim love and life wins, we're also proclaiming that how we live and how we love right now matters. It matters to God, it matters to our neighbors, it matters for our own selves. Love and life winning means that we live and we love in such a way that is oriented toward life. And so we always ask ourselves the question, is my behavior, are my actions producing more life for other people or robbing people of life? Living and loving like Jesus is about living and loving in this world, in this time. So as a community of faith, as we orient ourselves around building a culture where love and life truly win, we can rest assured that our salvation is taken care of so that we can get busy making a difference here in this world right now. As a foretaste of what is to come in the end of time. That's the type of culture we want to create here at Prince of Peace. Not one that has people wrapped up in concerned and concerned and in knots over their eternal salvation, but one that reassures people that through Christ that is taken care of. We want to help raise people to real life right now. People that though walking, though living, though breathing are experiencing death, hardship, pain, suffering, trials and tribulations, overcome with grief and and sorrow. That is the ministry with which Jesus oriented all three years that he walked on the earth. Very few times did Jesus actually talk about Heaven, salvation, eternity. Jesus often was oriented towards people talking to them about their life in this world. Feeding the hungry. Welcoming the outcast. Sharing with all. So let's be that sort of gospel community that not only gives people a vision of what is to come in the future, but but helps bring that future to the present. And we get to do that in so many remarkable and exciting ways. Big ways, profound ways. Like helping people that are in impoverished places like Haiti or Afghanistan. But we also get to do that in very simple ways. By listening to those in the pews next to us who are grieving and mourning. Those who are still recovering and trying to figure life out because their spouse died six months ago, five years ago. We get to do this in so many opportunities. And as we do the work of the church together, that way that, in which we love one another is a loud proclamation to the world that love and life do indeed win. Amen.